Hey, welcome guys, thanks. Um, welcome online, thanks for joining us. Welcome to you here in the room with us. Uh, I wanna introduce myself in case you're visiting, you don't know, my name's Jeremy. I'm our infrastructure pastor here at Thorn Creek Church and I have this opportunity to fill in for Pastor Ruben, our lead pastor who's still recovering. Uh, each day he's feeling better. I was talking with him this week and talking about how he feels like his, his, his energy level, he's tired. And I was just thinking about that, I was like, I was praising the Lord that he's tired because that means his body is working very hard to heal. Yeah, exactly. And so God's moving in him and healing him. And so he will be back here soon. But for now, you got me. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm excited for this message. I'm excited for this message. Uh, God has put it on my heart and um, I've just been working on it this whole week and I just can't wait to deliver it. So let's pray and let's get into this. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you uh, for going to the cross for us. Thank you for giving us new life. And thank you for meeting with us right here today. God, uh, we just give everything to you. We give everything to you. We, we ask you uh, to move in our hearts. We give you full permission to move today. Have your way. Uh, God, have your way. And God, I just ask that you would kind of just set me aside. Uh, we've, we've worked on this message all week together, God, but now it's time for, for you to just use me like a vessel, just speak through me, God. So set my words aside and I pray your words come out of my mouth. Uh, God, and we just bring glory to you and honor. God, we lift up Pastor Reuben and just ask that you would continue to heal his body. God, remove this dizziness, God. Uh, allow him to feel like he's standing on a solid rock on you, Jesus. And um, God, we just give this time to you right now. And we just ask that you be here and uh, speak. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we're starting a new series called Fan or Follower, and we're going to be looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to warn you a little bit that we're going to, we're not going to stay on the surface level here during this series. We're not going to just kind of go through the quick little things, the cliche things, but we really want to dig into what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What is it? What are those internal decisions that we make, those genuine decisions every single day to be close to Jesus, to be a follower of him? And my hope is that each week you'll, you'll feel the weight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What's the, what's the sacrifice required? What, is God, what does Jesus really ask of us when he says, follow me? Uh, what does it look like? It's not just a list of things that we do each day or each month or each week, but like what does that life look like when we follow Jesus in our hearts and with every part of us? Uh, sometimes it's going to feel uncomfortable. Uh, my hope is I kind of dig into those places where we feel a little bit uncomfortable, like, like, did Jesus really say that we have to do that? And, and what I've found is that when we're uncomfortable, that usually means God is working, that he's working a good way in us. And, and, and it's okay to feel uncomfortable when God is working because he's going to challenge us. Uh, the world says to live a certain way. God says to live a different way. So when we feel that tension, that's a good thing. Um, in the series, we're going to kind of dig into those weeds and I'm going to meddle in your life a little bit. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to look at those places that maybe we don't normally go. We're not just going to stay at this top level and, and very general, but I want to dig in. What does it look like to follow Jesus and not just be a fan? We're going to talk about our priorities. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about our relationships. We're going to talk about how we approach God in times of crisis and, and how we treat other people, how we forgive. And we're going to talk about how we, how do we live out that command that Jesus has that says to, to pick up our cross and to d die 
to ourselves every day, to deny ourselves. How do we do that? Because when we, we look at the Bible and we look at the teaching of Jesus, it's, it's not easy and fluffy and mediocre all the time. It's, it's very challenging things. And, and when he would say things that would challenge people, um, he wouldn't, you know, if they would leave, he would be okay with that. He wouldn't just change the message. He wouldn't just say, okay, well, uh, never mind that part. We're going we're gonna to go over that and re- reword it and make it feel a little bit better for you. Or he wouldn't just leave out certain parts just to make people feel good. So we're going to dig into that because he taught truth in love. That's what Jesus did. So he would cut to the heart of the issue and he would push people. He would push each and every one of us to really evaluate how are we living our lives? How are we living for God? Or are we just living for ourselves and for our own desires? He would, he would, he would challenge us with, are you unconditionally loving people? Are you forgiving people? Are you a follower and not a fan? See, so the question really is for each and every one of us, do you really want to go deeper in your faith and your relationship with Jesus? Or do you just like the idea of that? Because that's what a fan does. A fan just likes the idea of doing that. S- seeing it from a distance, like, that's, that's, I would love to do that, but I'm not really going to do it. I just would love to do that. That's the, f- the fan mentality. And this is where we really start to distinguish between fan and follower. So what is a fan? What does a fan look like? Well, a simple definition of a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. That's what a fan is. Someone who just admires from a distance, who sees things. Uh, now this may be personal. Here, I'll, I'll give you an example of a fan. Now, this is probably a really bad place for me to jump into because I'm going to talk about sports, but I'm not really a sports guy. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about it because here's the fan. And I thought, actually, this is kind of appropriate because at best, when it comes to sports, I'm a fan. That's it. Uh, you may have a, a football fan. This is the person who, who goes to the games, who watches the games when they can't go. They, they have their team, and they're always cheering for that team. They have the merchandise. They've got the jersey. They listen to the sports talk radio, and they hear up the updates every single day or every single week. They're staying on top of it. They know the stats. They know which players are, are new and which players are on the verge of getting traded. They know the history of the team and 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 why it started, and how it started, and who was this owner, and who was that manager, and who was this head coach. They know all these things about the team. In fact, for them, there's probably really no off-season, because once the season's over, they're just looking for the next season, and they're looking at all those things. And this is the fan. They're, they're, they're watching. They're admiring from outside, but they're not like in the office They're not with the team. They're not in there making decisions every day. They're not in there uh, doing reps with the players. They're they're a fan. They're watching from outside. They're excited. They've got this fandom, but their life isn't totally run by it. Uh, They try to rearrange their schedule to make sure they can get to a game or watch it. But you know what? If there's something that's really important, a life event, they'll skip the game. It's okay. They can get past it. That is a fan. The fandom of that they have, it doesn't direct their career. It doesn't direct their life where they choose to live. They are just a fan. They're just watching from a distance. They're admiring. We could be fans of teams and athletes, celebrities, bands, uh, musicians, all kinds of things. It's, it's possible to know about a person to know all the, the, the intricate de- details. They're, maybe if they're an athlete, their stats, or if they're a musician, their bands that they listened to when they were growing up. We may know about their family, how many kids they have, what their kids' names are, where they live. We may know all kinds of, we know their favorite color, but do we really know them? No. 
We don't hang out with them all the time. We don't get to know them. Uh, imagine, if you will, if you wanted to get to know and really be close to someone that you, you, you admired. Well, what that would mean is you'd need to go live in their house. And then you would need to adjust your life to their schedule. Anything that they have on their schedule, you're going to change your calendar and just do what it is. And, and they're going to speak into your life. And they're going to tell you what you should watch and what you should read. And they're going to be close to you and what you should think about of the world. And is that really what you want from someone, some celebrity or some actor? I mean, I think about the actors I like. I don't, I don't necessarily want to, want to have that kind of relationship with them. I'm okay just being a fan. But here's the challenge. Are we okay with just being a fan of Jesus, watching him from the outside, knowing all the stats, knowing the miracles, knowing the stories, the, the things that he did, but we're just kind of out here because I don't know if I want him to like change my life. I'm okay. Jesus had a lot of fans. Jesus had a lot of fans. We see this play out in John 6. Uh, right before John 6 is one of Jesus' biggest miracles. He feeds 5,000 people, 5,000 men, way more than 5,000 people. He, he does it with just uh, a couple fish and a couple loaves of, of bread, and he feeds all these people. There's a huge miracle that happens. And after that, that night, they all leave, the disciples and Jesus, and they go across the lake, and they kind of get away from everyone. Everyone wakes up in the morning and they're like, where's Jesus? Where did he go? And we see in verse 25, it says, they found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. See, Jesus recognizes that they're just fans. They're just fans. That's why they chased him down. They just liked the free meal. They didn't necessarily agree with the teaching or understand the teaching or apply the teaching to their life. They were just fans. They wanted to be around Jesus to see all the cool things he could do and maybe get another free meal. And, and Jesus continues to teach them and continues to try and bring them along. He explains that he is the bread of life, that, 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 that he is the true nourishment that they need for their lives. And he tells them that they have to, they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It says that in verse 53. He says, so Jesus said again, I tell you you the truth unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you cannot have eternal life within you but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will raise that person at the last day now jesus isn't talking about zombies here <laughs> okay let's make sure that what jesus is doing is using metaphor again he's not actually wanting them to come up and take a bite out of him but he says my body me who i am i am the bread of life that word eats means to to consume and to devour for nourishment he says if you eat me if you devour me if you consume me to to nourish your spirit then that's how you have true life not this free meal that's temporary on this temporary planet and this temporary life that you have. He's saying it's not all just about these fun miracles and these rewards, but it's also a hard teaching. He, he says this and people are kind of like, wait a minute, we need to eat your flesh. In fact, that's what we see in verse 60. Many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? These disciples now we're, now we're moving on from the crowd. We're getting to the people who were actually really kind of, they would call themselves followers, not just fans. And they're saying, how can we accept this type of teaching from Jesus? It's really hard. It, it makes me think I might have to change the way I live. I, I may have to change the way I think. And so they see this as very hard. And, and Jesus even responds to him. He's like, does that offend you? Does it bother you that I said this? 
And then you finally see them leave in verse 66. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. They weren't really followers. They were just fans. They were quick to be there for those miracles. They were quick to be there for the free food. But as soon as the teaching got up all in their business, right, got into their lives and said, this is how I want to see you love people. And this is how I want to see you love God. And this is how I want to see you live life. And the only true nourishment you get is from me. When, when Jesus got into that point, they, they kind of said, well, I need to back away. This is too hard. This happens in churches all the time. You know, in Thorn Creek Church, we believe in the word of God. That's why we have a Bible up here every time we deliver a message. Because we, we want to be rooted in this right here. We believe this is the standard. This is the plumb line that we learn from. And we have the responsibility to, to preach the entire counsel of God's word. But in many churches, or even here, you may get offended when, when a church speaks of God's word and they don't skip around and they don't move over the, the hard parts and the, and the tough teaching, then it's easy to become offended. And, and if you're just a fan, if you're just admiring enthusiastically, then you may get offended and you have, I don't need to hear that. And I'm going to go find some other church where they don't talk about that, or maybe they don't even believe that. But what, what we have to do, what Bible teaches is that, that God is a righteous God. He's a holy God. There's, there is right and there is wrong in this world. And that's what, what God teaches us with the Bible. Homosexuality, it is a sin. Sex outside of marriage, it is a sin. Lusting and looking at pornography, it's a sin. Hating people, it's a sin. Murder, it's a sin. Envying others, it's a sin. Coveting, stealing, stealing from your work by looking at social media and having personal matters and work time, it's a sin. Lying, it's a sin. Cheating on your taxes, it's a sin. These are the things we learn. Gossiping, it's a sin. Jesus digs into our life and goes to those places specifically and says, this is a problem for you. And if you're a fan, you just want to go, you know what, Jesus, get out of here. That's, that's my business. That's, that's me. I'll, I, I, want, I, want, I believe in you. I know that you died for my sins, and I want to go to heaven, so I'll believe that, but I don't need to change my life. That's the fan mentality. But when you're a follower of Jesus, when you truly reach into him and say, Jesus, I want, I want you to have control of my life. I give you everything. Then you're locked in. You're committed. You're surrendered to him. And you hear those things, and you aren't offended. When Jesus checks you on your attitude or your words, you're not offended. You look at it as a way to get closer to God. You may be convicted, but you look for the Holy Spirit to move inside of you and to change you. Your, act, your first act is an act of repentance. God, forgive me. Change me. I don't want to be that way anymore. I recognize that you are the authority in my life. That's what the follower does. So what does that follower look like beyond that a follower our simple definition is a devoted disciple a devoted disciple that's what a follower looks like someone who's locked in and devoted who has made a commitment to Jesus and that's what this whole series is really about what's that internal thing that we do that those decisions that we make deep down inside to say Jesus you have authority in my life even more than me? How do I structure my life to be a follower of Jesus? How do I, I look to Jesus to follow him daily, 
weekly, monthly, and years into the future. What do we do when we're confronted by teaching, by Jesus, that's, that's hard, that convicts us, that is against what we were brought up to believe, that's different from the world? What do we do? That's what we're talking about. This follower is devoted and makes these decisions based on their relationship with Jesus, based on who he is. Unlike a fan of Jesus, they don't just have a Jesus poster on the wall and know his stats. They want to be close to him. Every day, they want to sit with him, sit at his feet and know him and be changed by him. Jesus wasn't concerned with the size of the crowd. He wasn't after fans. He was after followers. He didn't tell the disciples, come and be a fan of me. He said, come and follow me. He was about commitment. He wanted to see someone who was fully committed That's where we get this idea of fan or follower. And specifically today, the first thing we're looking at in this series is it's all about me, fan, or it's all about him, follower. Because that's where it has to start. We have to figure out who is sitting on the throne in our life. Whose authority has most say in our life? It's this fan or follower status is really hinged on this point of what we decide to do. Is your life all about you? Is it all about your comforts, your desires, your dreams, your wants, your opinions, your pleasures, your ways? Or are they about Jesus and his desires and his wants, his plans and his purposes for your life, his kingdom, his agenda, his will? Here's the challenge that we have. Oftentimes, we see someone make a decision for Jesus to follow him, to give their life to him. But then oftentimes, it can just stop right there. And that's the challenge we have as a church, as a body of believers. We're to come around each other as we make these decisions. Because here is the reality. We're, we're all separated from God because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And we need the grace of God. We need Jesus who went to the cross to die for our sins. And we need that in our lives. We need to repent and say, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner and I need your grace. And Jesus goes to that cross. And, and while we were still sinners, this is what the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, died for you, died for me. He was on that cross and took on the weight of all of the sin of the world for every single one of us. And when we turn our life over to him, he does give us this grace, this free gift of life in him. But that's not the end. That's the beginning. If, if that was the end, then all we have to do is be fans, We just go, thank you, here's my golden ticket, and I don't have to change anything in my life. But when we look at Jesus and his ministry, he never once said, just stay the way you are. He never said, just be my fan. Just buy the ticket and come to the show. That was not his intention. It was change. It was go and sin no more. That was Jesus' intention. And so if we stop right there, then we have this problem of just like selling Jesus. Unfortunately, I feel like in America, uh, the church has done this a lot. We focus on, here's Jesus, he's on the cross, and here's all the benefits you get, and here's all of the rewards you get, and that is true, but we stop short of that. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself 
every day. We don't, if you're just selling Jesus, you skip over those parts. That there's sacrifice. There should be a sacrifice of worship, a sacrifice of praise. There's a reason that we come to church. We, we worship together. We meet God together. And we're sacrificing our time to show God, your agenda is more important than my agenda. Your schedule is more important than my schedule. That's why we do it. Hear this. Jesus wants your commitment, not your decision. If you just make a decision, to believe something is true, it doesn't necessarily mean a change in your life is going to happen or that a commitment has happened. I've made a decision to believe the truth that if you exercise every single day, you will be healthier. Do I exercise every single day? No. You want to know why? Because I'm lazy. (laughs) I don't want to do it. It requires sacrifice. I'm going to have to give up some of my time. I'm going to have to plan it. I'm going to have to figure it out. It's going to take energy. I'm going to be tired afterwards. Just because I believe something to be true doesn't mean I'm actually doing anything about it. And that's the challenge. If you're just a fan, then yes, you believe in Jesus, but it stops right there. You say, yes, I believe he went to the cross and that he died for my sins, but that doesn't change the way I live. But if you really recognize the true love of God, which is his son coming to die for you, I don't know, I have never had anyone else die for me. I have never had anyone else die for me. Anyone put themselves in my place so that I didn't have to. Jesus did that for me. Jesus did that for you. And if that's the truth, then you should want to do what he says. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Follow me to the nth degree. Be a follower of Jesus, not a fan. And when we do that, to do that, I mean, we have to make our lives all about him and not about us. And Jesus doesn't mince words about it. When we make our lives all about him, we don't tear down people with our words. We, we build them up. We speak encouraging words. We, in, we, we, we spur them on to greater things. We show them love through our words. We, we come alongside them when they're hurting. We don't hold grudges and become resentful and bitter. We, we go to people who have hurt us and we work through those issues. That's how we're followers of Jesus. That's how we're different because of him working inside of us. We don't have a good enough attitude. We do all of our work as if we're doing it for the Lord, as if we're in his temple and working just for him. We work really hard because that's who our God is. We don't avoid people who annoy us. We love them. Because we recognize, guess what? I annoy people too. But we're all made in God's image. And we're all deserving of God's love. And so we love them. We don't make excuses about why we couldn't get to church. We go even if it's far away. I'm Jason Duguay. And I'm Kim Duguay. And we live in Colorado Springs. So fast forward to uh, 2020. My friend told me Pastor Ruman had been fighting COVID and I said, I'm going to just go online and and see what this is all about, see how he's doing right now. Maybe I can offer some prayers. And so I watched his sermon, Let Everything That Has Breath, about his COVID recovery. And I was so excited and so touched by that. And that evening I watched three additional sermons. And fast forward to today, we are regular attendees of the church. And I've gone back in time even further to catch up on old sermon series. Uh, I really enjoy the services, enjoy the format. 
Uh, I like the way everything is presented. Uh, Pastor Ribbon's presentation is, is just up my alley. I just, I just like the way he does things. It's uh, very comfortable. Uh, we do plan to go up to the church at some point, but we live quite a distance away, so it's just a matter of when we can get there. Not if, but when. So I've been doing online hosting a few months now, and what really prompted me was Pastor Jeremy just asking, do you have any interest in doing this? And I said, absolutely. I, I would love to help with online church hosting. What I like about online hosting the most is just the opportunity to interact with people since we're not in a physical building. It's, it's him and I, which is great, but it's also nice to interact with other people outside of our home that are also attending church in and outside of Colorado. Well, Kim does the hosting on her laptop. Uh, we usually use her phone and, phone and beam it to our television, the, the service. That's, our living room is basically our church, our, our virtual church. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like I said, we are quite a distance away, so it's been really convenient for us, even though we do plan to actually get there physically at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody say, hi, Kim and Jason. There we go. Kim's, Kim's probably hosting this week. So uh, everybody say hi in the chat as well to Kim and Jason. This is, I, I love just their, their heart to, to be a part of the church, that Kim was willing to just jump in and not just be a consumer, not just be a fan, not just watch church on the TV and kind of sit back, but to be engaged. She understood that the church is more than just this, this weekend worship experience, but there's this community. There's a part of, of doing life together as the church, and she recognized that, and, and she wasn't okay with just being a fan. She was going to be a follower because she's going to make this commitment to be be at church, even if it's online or if it's in person, they're, they're going to come up and visit. They're going to do these things. And, and this is similar to what Jesus tells the crowd, right? That the, the, you have to make a commitment. See, have you only made a decision for Jesus or have you made a commitment to Jesus? Are you a fan or a follower? Jesus tells the crowd, Luke 14, Verse 25, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, that's a strong word. It's a hard teaching. If he does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus uses these really harsh words, this idea of hating your family, hating your, your parents and your spouse and your kids and your siblings and, and even, even yourself. I, I like how the NLT version says it. They, they kind of expanded a little bit better, I think. Verse 26, it says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is talking about when this hate, he's not just saying go around and hate everybody. That's not it. He's saying in comparison, when you're, when you're thinking about me, 
versus everything else. Everything else shouldn't even come like second or third. It's just like, I want Jesus so much. I'm going to follow him with everything in my life. I'm going to give him full authority in my life to change anything, to move me anywhere, to, to, to do anything I, that he asks. I'm going to do it. I'm going to hate all of those other things. I'm going to put my relationship with Jesus first and foremost. It doesn't mean we ignore those things because part of Jesus' teaching is to love our family and and minister to them. So it doesn't mean we're going to get rid of them, but I'm going to put my relationship first and foremost. I'm not going to put my kids first. I'm going to put Jesus first because I follow him. I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to lead my kids towards Jesus, but I'm going to love Jesus first because if I don't have that relationship, if I don't have that right, then I can't lead them to Jesus. I can't really love them well. I have to put Jesus's relationship. That's how we become a disciple, a follower, a devoted disciple to Jesus. It's, it's putting Jesus above everything. So what does commitment look like? What is, he wants this commitment. So we have all kinds of examples of commitment. We get married and in that marriage, there's a commitment to stay uh, faithful to each other. You know, no one in their, no one in their, in their marriage, I hope no one in their marriage says that I do. And then the next day says, well, but I want to see other people. That's not, that's not the commitment that we make in marriage. It's, it's together forever. Only the two of us, we, we make commitments to our mortgages. We like to live in our houses. So we pay that mortgage. If we choose to not do that, we could break that commitment. But there's an issue with that, right? We have to go find another place to live. We can't just do that. We have uh, phone service commitments, probably not the most biggest commitment that we have. We can switch phone services all the time. We have have commitments to our job and our career. But sometimes, some people are looking for that commitment, says, I want to live, or I want to be here and work here forever and retire here. Other people see that, that job as just like, well, this is just what's for right now. And I may be gone in three months because there may be something better. There's all kinds of commitments that we have, but Jesus wants the commitment that's forever and always and with him. That's why he's often like the church is called the bride and he is called the bridegroom. We use this symbol of marriage in our relationship between humans and God because that's the type of commitment that Jesus wants with us. Fidelity. Faithfulness. Solely his. What does commitment not look like? Commitment is not like the maybe person. Do you know the maybe person? You want to go do this? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Hey, we're going we're gonna to go see this movie. You want to come with us? Maybe. Maybe I'll see. Maybe, you know, because something else might come up. So I want to keep my options open. Maybe. Maybe. Can we go do this? You want to you go grab a Maybe. Maybe. Just tell me when you're going and I'll figure it out. That, that's, that's not commitment. Or the, 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 if I'm there, you can count on me, that person. Like if I'm there, you can, I'm there. But if I'm not, then don't worry about it. I'm not there. <laughs> I'll be there unless something better comes along. That person, that's not commitment. Those are the fans. Those are the fans that that, that look and see Jesus and they admire from a distance. But but when Jesus says, well, will you meet me right here? Will you meet me in this place of prayer every day to cry out for what's going on in your community and in your life? Like maybe, maybe if something else better doesn't come along. If I I don't get lost in my social media feed as as I'm scrolling through in the morning, maybe. He wants that full commitment. See, we make exceptions. We make exceptions. It's very easy to do this as we're following Jesus, as we, as, as we act like fans for Jesus. Because we, I, I really like Jesus. I really like him, but I, I really don't like serving. 
I don't really like serving, so I don't, I don't need to do that part. Or I really like Jesus, but, but I don't really see what the big deal is with going to church like every single week. Like that's not that big of a concern. I, I really like Jesus, but, but, but don't ask me to like save sex till marriage. That's, you, you can stay out of that part of my life. That's the fan. I, re, I really like Jesus, but don't talk to me about my money and my finances. Those are mine to deal with. The, the fan steps back and sets up these, expe- these exceptions of I like Jesus, but... I like Jesus, I really do, but I really don't like serving the poor. I just don't want to be around people like that. I love Jesus, but I'm not 100% committed. Well, if you're not 100% committed, Jesus just sees it as, as no commitment. That you're just a fan, you're just going to fall away. All you want is the free meal. We can't have exceptions if we're fully committed to Jesus. There will be things that you have to give up. There will be things that you must lose, that you hate by comparison with your relationship to Jesus. There's a cost to following Jesus. In fact, that's what he says. Continuing on in Luke 14, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Jesus tells us to count the cost, to estimate the cost. What's it going to really mean to be a follower of Jesus? It doesn't mean everything's going to stay the same. There is a cost. I love this. I want to read this for you guys. This is uh, a story out of a book called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And he, he, he tells this story. It says, John Oros was a church leader in Romania during the communist era. When he spoke at the Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary, he talked about what it was like. He said, during communism, many of us preached and people came at the end of a service and they said, I have decided to become a Christian. We told them, it is good that you want to become a Christian, but we would like to tell you that there is a price to be paid. Why don't you reconsider what you want to do? Because many things can happen to you. You can lose and you can lose big. You believe that? The pastor says, you may want to reconsider your decision to follow Jesus. So there's a cost. Isn't that crazy? John said that a high percentage of them chose to take part in a three-month class to better understand the decision they were making. John says, at the end of this period, many participants declared their desire to be baptized. Praise the Lord. Typically, I would respond, it's really nice that you want to become a Christian, but when you give your testimony, there will be informers here who will jot down your name. Tomorrow, the problems will start. Count the cost. Christianity is not easy. It's not cheap. You can be demoted. You can lose your job. You can lose your friends. You can lose your neighbors. You can lose your kids. You can lose even your own life. He wanted the people to get to a place where following Jesus was so important to them that if they lost everything, it would still be worth it. It's a lot different than the invitation to which many of us responded. At the end of the sermon, the preacher said something like, I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. If you want to become a Christian, then just raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. But Jesus makes it clear that you need to count the cost. If following Jesus costs you everything, would it still be worth it? If following Jesus, we live in America here. We live in a really wonderful place. We don't, we don't know that kind of cost. 
And I thank Jesus for it. But there's a cost to following Jesus. You may lose some friends. You may lose some family members. You may lose a job because a boss doesn't like that you've changed. You may lose some comfort. Jesus comes in and, and tells us to sacrifice and to surrender. You may lose some, some security and some safety in your finances as you give it all to him. When you recognize like, well, it's really not mine anyways. And I'm just going to trust the Lord with it. And that can feel scary. And you're going to lose those things. Is losing any of that worth it? Like, are you all in? Are you committed? Are you a follower? Or do you just want to stay back in that fan base? The follower of Jesus who sees life as all about him, all about Jesus, is very different than what the world looks like. That person, that follower of Jesus, seeks God in all his or her decisions. They say, I want to know God's will. I want to know that God is in it. And, and if he's not in it, I don't want to do it. I'm going to make radical, faith-filled choices based on the leading of the Lord. That's the follower of Jesus. They seek the will of God in their career, in their home, in where they choose to send their kids for school. All of those things. They choose to include God. That, that God is not just included, but he's the one leading the decision. That's what the follower looks like. Completely surrender. The follower is open to divine interruptions. I had a divine interruption this week. It was fun. I was working on my message on Friday. And I've, I had a time crunch because there's other things I had to work on. We worked on some storage stuff later in the afternoon. I had to get that. And I, like, I knew I only had like this much time to work. And I was excited. And we're going to do this. And then the phone rang here at the church. And Pastor Nick was here and I was like, well, cool. I'll just, I'll, I could let that ring. And then I look up and from my office, I can see Pastor Nick's office and his doors closed, the lights off. I recognize he's in here working on weekend stuff. So now I have a decision to make. I can go, well, you know what? This message is really important. I can let that go to voicemail and we'll get back to that person. It'll be okay. Or I can answer the phone. All of this happened really quick, right? It didn't, it didn't ring for 10, 10 minutes. <laughs> I make this decision. I go, you know what, Lord, if you want me, I'm going to answer that phone. And I answer the phone and I talk to this person who's out in Indiana, who is from Colorado, who is on hard times and, and just needs some food and just needs some food. And I was trying to kind of like try to connect them with someone there in Indiana because I was like, well, I'm here in Colorado. And if you can't drive to get wherever it is, maybe we can find someone there. And, and this person was like, no, I don't want to do that. Because they had a pretty bad experience with a church there. And I said, I'm sorry. And, and, and this person got pretty upset with me. Like, like every time I call somewhere, they just want to send me somewhere else. That's all they want to do. They just want to send me. And I, I said, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not what I was trying to do. I was just trying to get you close and connected with someone who was right there with you. Because I'm way over here in Colorado. I said, but I'll get you food. I can get you food. I can do Instacart. They'll deliver anywhere for me. And I said, what do you need? And he tells, tells me what food they need, and I got them food, and I sent them. And, and as soon as I said, I'm getting you food, 
Yeah, praise the Lord. It's, it's not me. It's because the Lord wanted me to answer the phone and I listened to the Lord. And that's what I, I want to be in that place where there's the divine interruption where God can use it. Because as soon as I told him, like his whole continence changed. He was in this place of desperation. And he, he said, you don't realize like this food just, it really just changes everything. And so the person who's the follower of Christ, who's not just a fan, is willing to, to have those divine interruptions. That it's not about my agenda or my schedule or the things that I need to do. It's about what God wants to do in and through me. Yeah. The, the follower of Jesus looks crazy to the world. Because they have standards. And they, they say there's right and there's wrong and there's absolute truth and there's things that are good and things that aren't. The, the follower of Jesus it has, has the, the stature to, to stand firm and say, you know what? Abortion is bad. We don't kill people. That baby is a person. We don't kill people. That, that, that follower of Christ is able to sit there and say, you know what? I'm not going to sin. Lying is a sin. Cheating on my taxes is a sin. Doing all of these things, hate is a sin. And racism is a sin. And disowning people and shutting them out is a sin. And lying is not good. It's a sin. And they're going to teach their children what's right and what's wrong because they're going to enter into a school system likely that's going to tell them that, you know what? Whatever you think is good is good. And you could just do whatever you want. The follower of Christ goes, no, 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 that's not life. That's not how it is. And they raise their children up in the Lord. They're following Jesus with everything. The follower of Jesus creates their calendar around God. The weekend is important because I go worship the Lord. When I go on vacation, Sunday is important because I go worship the Lord. I don't take a vacation from God. The follower of Jesus puts their calendar around Jesus. They sacrifice athletics for church and youth group for their kids. They sacrifice school events so that their kids can be at church and can be at youth group. They sacrifice that vacation time. They, they sacrifice events because I want to meet with my small group. Because in my small group is where I talk about Jesus and I build community. I have friends who are supportive and authentic and, and real and Christ-centered. And, and that's where I want to be. I don't want to be the maybe person. I don't want to be the maybe guy. I don't want to be the guy who's if something else better comes. The, the follower of Christ has a mindset of how does God want to use this or use me in this situation. The follower of Christ recognizes that everything is spiritual. That in all of our interactions, God wants to work in and through us. That God wants to use you and to change you and to use others in your life to minister to you and you to minister to them. Everything is spiritual. Everything is an opportunity for God to use me. Chances, chance meetings in, in a store, meeting an old friend, seeing someone you haven't seen in a while. You think it's just coincidence or has God brought that person into your life? Does God want to do something in and through you? The follower has the mindset that, that I want to be available. I want to be ready to, the, to do that. I want to be ready to hear the Holy Spirit. The follower of Christ lives a life of sacrifice. Putting others first. Putting the spiritual health of their family before everything except their own faith. 
that it starts there, that, that, that I'm concerned about my family. It goes before my hobbies. It goes before my work. It goes before anything else. The follower of Jesus is all in, fully committed. They're not just a fan admiring and going, wow, that would be cool. That seems nice. That looks good. The follower is all in. Jesus is above all. There's nothing that is off limits to Jesus for the follower. Jesus can have his way in any department. I think John the Baptist really sums up what this life looks like. So we can either be the fan, it's all about me, or we can be the follower, it's all about him. And John the Baptist, if you don't know who this guy is, he was actually the older cousin of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that he was sent before Jesus to prepare the way. And he lived out in the wilderness and he ate locusts and honey and had clothes made out of camel hair. He was like this crazy guy. Everybody's like crazy John out there in the wilderness. And he's out there baptizing people and telling them, you need to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Because Jesus is coming, the Lamb of God. And when Jesus does come up to where, where John the Baptist is, is doing his ministry, he says, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. He, he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he baptizes Jesus. Even, even like, he tells Jesus, like, I shouldn't do this. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this, this is good. We're going to fulfill scripture. We're going to fulfill prophecy right here. And so he baptizes Jesus and, and Jesus starts his ministry, he heads off into the wilderness and then he starts teaching and, and he starts getting these disciples and people start following him. And there's kind of this, all of a sudden we see this in John 3, we see this kind of struggle, this tension because John the Baptist had his own disciples, people who were following him because they didn't know about Jesus yet. And so they're following him. And, and, and then they realize like, wait a minute, Jesus is getting pretty popular. And we see it in John 3, verse 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John's disciples are concerned. They're like, he's stealing our followers. <laughs> They're following him. You remember that guy that you said was the Lamb of God? Like, they're going over there. They listen to you. Apparently, they believe you. Verse 27, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. And verse 30, here it is. He says, he must become greater. I must become less. Fan or follower? Yeah. John says, he must become greater. I must become less. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. John's concern is not that he's losing disciples. John's concern is not his own clout, is not his own influence. John's concern is not his own timetable or his schedule. John's concern is what people think about Jesus. 
The follower of Jesus puts Jesus at the top and is concerned about him. He wants Jesus to be greater and I want me to become less. I love how Kyle Eidemann said this in his book, Not a Fan. He said, following Jesus means following him alone. Fans don't want to put Jesus on the throne of their hearts. Instead, they keep a couch on their, in their, uh, on their hearts and at the most give Jesus a cushion. He's asked to share the space. Jesus makes it clear to this crowd he's not interested in sharing your heart. We all have a throne. This chair up here, it represents the throne. And this is what we look like. We sit in the throne. We make the decisions. Where am I going to go to eat tonight? I'll decide. Where am I going to work? I'll decide that. How am I going to spend my money? I'll decide that. I'm sitting on the throne. I am the king. And what happens in our lives is, is Jesus, Jesus comes into our life and we meet him. And we recognize what he's done for us. And we recognize his love for us. And that he went to the cross for us. And that all we have to do is, is put our faith in him. And so we do and we make that decision like we talked about earlier. We make that quick decision. But oftentimes then we just kind of put Jesus back down here. And where are we going to go eat tonight? I'll decide. How are we going to raise our kids? I'll make that decision. What's right and what's wrong? I'll, I'll figure that out. Now, sometimes we have crises going on and we go, you know what, Jesus, I need you here. And I don't know what's going on. I lost my job and I'm not going to be able to pay the mortgage. And Jesus, I need you and I'm ready and I want to, I want to follow you. I'm, I'm, here I am. And Jesus hears us and he's gracious and he moves. And then we're just fine with Jesus going right back down here. Like Kyle Eidemann said, we just give him a space on the cushion, on the couch. We're going to share the throne maybe a little bit every so often. But where are we, what are we going to do? Where are we going to live? I'll make that decision. I live here. Jesus doesn't want to live in this place. He says either commit or don't. Like here, when we put him down here, we don't hate our brother and our sister and our mother. We, we, we love everything else. We love ourselves. We don't hate ourselves compared to Jesus. When we put him here, we're still in that space. We're like trying to co-lead. Trying to co-lead like whatever you think, Jesus, and then whatever I think, and I think I'll trump whatever you think because if I like it, if it makes me feel good, then I'll do that. But here's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to put Jesus there and sit at his feet. And say, Jesus, whatever you want, where are we going to go eat? Jesus, where, where should I work? Jesus, how should I raise my kids? Jesus, what am I supposed to do with that guy at work who keeps cussing and I don't want to be around him and he's really annoying? How am I supposed to love him? Jesus, what am I supposed to do with my uncle who, who hurt me. This is the space Jesus wants us to live in, right here, at his feet, him on the throne. And we're not going to jump up just because we don't like something and, and say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, we're just going to, we're going to let Jesus live on the throne. And we're just going to sit here. Jesus, what do you want my ministry to look like? Jesus, what do you want my life to look like? Jesus, what do you, how do you want to use me today? This is the follower of Jesus. This is the life of it's all about him, not it's all about me. 
This is the life of surrender. This is the life of denying yourself. This is the life of picking up your cross right here in this place. And here's the neat thing. Jesus said he came to give life and give it abundantly to the full. And the reality is we don't understand, we don't experience the abundant life until we're here at this place of sacrifice. When you're here, you're in the center of God's will. When you're here, God sees that, that you're, you're his good and faithful servant. And so blessings come. And when you recognize, sometimes blessings are just the fact that I recognize I don't need all the stupid stuff the world tells me I need. Like, I'm not, I'm not missing out on stuff. Yeah, there's commercials that tell me I'm missing out on stuff, but you know what? I'm right here. I'm with my Lord. I'm in this place of sacrifice. And this is a sweet place to walk with Jesus. Because then we enter into his will. just like in Matthew 26. This is Jesus in the garden. And he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet not, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus knows what it's like to live in that place. In the garden, Jesus got down here and said, father, I really don't want to do this. It's going to hurt. I'm not going to see you. But if this is what you have for me, if I have to lose it all, then your will be done, not mine. That's where Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like. You don't have a savior who doesn't know what it's like. You have a savior who knows exactly what it's like to sit here and sacrifice everything. Isn't that beautiful? Like when we're struggling, we're like, I don't, I, I kind of want to jump back up here. Jesus knows what that's like. He's like, if there's any other way, take this cup. If there's any other way. Jesus has been there. So how do we know? How do we know what God's will is? How do we, how do we live in that space? Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, his mercy to, to pour out on us and not give us what we deserve, but to give us grace in view of his mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The follower sacrifices their life for Jesus. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be in God's word. That's how you renew your mind. Then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's all about him. Say it with me. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about my will. It's all about Jesus. That's our commitment. Let's be a follower of Jesus today. Let's move forward with that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for having mercy and grace for each and every single one of us. And God, I'm so thankful that you want us to be a follower. Not a fan. Maybe you're here tonight and something that was said hit to the core. You recognize there's that thing. That's, that's what makes me more of a fan than a follower. 
And you just need to give that up and surrender it to the Lord. Just say, Jesus, I want to put you on the throne of my life. I don't want to share it with you anymore. I don't want to play the game of your leading sometimes and I'm leading sometimes. I give it all to you. Jesus, take every part of my life. I give it to you. Lead me by the Holy Spirit in every decision, in every circumstance, in every, every interaction with other people. God, lead me. I give it to you because it's not about me. It's about you, Jesus.